was your mindset when you stepped in the batter's box? Go yard. I mean, <laughs> I'm a pitcher. Why not swing as hard as I can? He was so worked up, he vomited on the sideline and then just kept on yelling at his teammates, Steve. <laughs> Coach, Minshew mania, the mustache sensation has taken over Pullman. Well, I don't know. I don't even think he had a mustache when I recruited him. I don't recall. Becoming a sideline reporter for ESPN didn't make me popular. This thing did. I've been getting offers for it all day long. All right, guys, here we go. We're going to have one team, one heartbreaker. All right, we're going to play for each other. We're going to have each other's back. We're going to win this ball game. One team, one heartbreaker. Here we go. go. That might be the best sideline report in the history of sideline reports. <laughs>Welcome into Sideline Pass Podcast. Allison, Chris, and Molly with you as always. Hard to believe, ladies, we are a quarter of the way through the season, which is mind-blowing. We just wrapped up week four. Um, we're going to get into some of the teams that are 4-0, and who's like a legit 4-0, and and maybe some of the more surprising teams that are 4-0, and and maybe some of the imposters that are sitting there unbeaten a quarter of the way through the season. But let's start with probably the biggest shocker of the weekend, and that was NC State's upset of Clemson. It's, it's hard to believe we're sitting here at the end of September and the Tigers have two losses already. I was watching that game live. And when NC state missed that field goal to win it in regulation, that poor kicker, by the way, that done kid, I mean, like Oh, for three with his field goals and just, Oh, what a, what a miserable evening, but he ends up celebrating with his teammates at the end. And that's all that matters. But when he missed that, that field goal at the end of regulation, my initial was, reaction was, Oh, Clemson's going to win. Right. Like Dabble's mm-hmm. going to find a way again. He's got the horseshoe up, up his butt. His luck's going to prevail and Clemson's going to win this game. No freaking way. And wow, NC State guts it out uh, in double overtime and gets the win. So kind of your reaction, ladies, to to I think probably one of the biggest upsets um, of the season. And what's going on? What's going on with Clemson? Yeah, I'll start because I had them the week previous and you start Mm -hmm. to see some things just not really clicking. And there was a lot of outspokenness the week leading up to that game. Lynn J. Dixon, who was a senior running back, decided to transfer. He had had some issues, um, you know, within the coaching staff. Then uh, they had an offensive lineman come out and, and basically like, explain his disgruntledness with the team and saying like, it's not all about scheme. It also comes down to players and we need people to step up. You usually don't hear those things out of a Dabo Sweeney team. So I thought that that was pretty um, telling into the insight into that locker room. And I I don't know what it is, honestly, and it's only going to get harder from here. They lose Will Shipley, who's their top running back, Brian Brzee on the defense. They lost to an ACL so things are only going to get more challenging. It's interesting for Clemson how how far they'll slide now because they've played for a championship for so long. If that's out of the cards to not be in the playoffs, what is that team fighting for? And we knew that NIL would show itself in some ways. And I'm wondering, does any of that play here? You know, kids that now are playing for money or, you know, playing for to earn money for their families or for whatever reason. And you have someone like DJ Uyunglele who maybe didn't understand what it takes to be a starter, you know, had come in for two games last year and maybe Trevor Lawrence hid a lot of stuff, Molly, that we, because he was so talented, we just said, Clemson's good. They're always good. And maybe there were some pieces put together that we didn't realize were missing. 
I think Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne covered up a lot of holes for this Clemson team. And without them, they don't really know what they're doing. You know, I think we're getting to see some of the holes and some of the issues with this team. And I'm glad that you brought up NIL because I was thinking about that a lot this weekend. I don't want to blame a lot of stuff on NIL because you could argue players were being paid years before and it was just under the table and now players are being paid and it's legit. But I do think that NIL puts a ridiculous amount of pressure on these players because people now know how much money they're making. And I think fans now feel a sense of ownership over these players in a sense like DJ Uyunglele, how much money are you making? You can't throw an interception. And that's the way that fans see it. And you saw that with the Oklahoma game. I don't want to like, we're going to continue on to Clemson, but I'm just going to say in terms of the treatment that Spencer Rattler got from the crowd, they were chanting the backup quarterback's name saying, we want Caleb. And I think a big part of that is because they feel a sense that this kid isn't getting the job done. He's getting paid how much money to be our quarterback. He needs to deliver. So I think NIL is making fan bases a little more um, impatient with Mm -hmm. players. And you see that with DJ and with Clemson and who knows how much pressure that's putting on DJ, you know, to step into Trevor Lawrence's role Mm -hmm. and you're making money and you want to be worth it. Right. Yeah. I I, want to, cause I alluded to something I'll go ahead and I've shared it with you guys before and I won't name a specific player, but this just goes into the mindset of now NIL. I ask a lot of players, what is on the lock screen of your phone? Remember Mac Jones telling me it's Connor McGregor. That gives you an insight into what motivates him. I asked a player last week and he said, it's my girlfriend holding up stacks of cash. So again, this is now kind of what is at the forefront of their mind in today's way of NIL. I'm going to add another layer to it. But first of all, I got to call out um, airport salty airport wine drink and salty molly who was the oh, last you guys, fans on twitter i was i was blasting <laughs> oklahoma fans <laughs> awesome. on twitter after two glasses of cabernet and i'm watching the game and i'm hearing them chant we want caleb and this poor kid spencer rattler like do you think that's going to help your quarterback i don't care no. if you think the other quarterback's going to is going to be better. The kid's a freshman. He's unproven. You want him to come into the game and you're hurting your team by chanting that. Like I don't, and you, I have been blasted on Twitter for saying that because Oklahoma fans are some of the angriest fans I've encountered. I don't care. I think it was the wrong thing to do. And it's only going to make your team worse. They're Fans did not help at all. It's, it's just stupid. stupid. But in your defense, Molly, that red wine post game at the airport, it hits different because your adrenaline's so been good. running all day. It's so good. You haven't eaten very much, right? Yeah, so you're like kind of on an empty stomach. You're out of the PB and J's. You crushed at halftime. You're a little dehydrated. The adrenaline's been flowing. Man, I'll tell you what, you will never have a buzz like you will have after uh, a game at the airport when you're rushing <laughs> to your flight and you get that first glass of wine. Um, but to, <sighs> your, to your girl, point like like I am so intrigued by this because not having been around a lot of any players this season obviously I haven't been able to get that feel right like how is their disposition different I noticed things were different at Pac-12 media days immediately and and two things so one 
you wondered, maybe is there just a little bit of like um, a relax factor? Because guess what? There isn't that pressure to perform for the next three years and prove yourself to the league to earn money. You're already making bank. You're already mm-hmm. making six. That's a lot. Six figures is a lot of freaking money for a 19 year old or I mean, anybody, but especially a 19 year old. So I don't know. Is there a little bit like, hey, I've made it and they've got to reprogram themselves to achieve what they want to achieve and refocus what the goal is. And the goal isn't, you know, to make these endorsements in college. The goal is to get to the league and make your millions and that stuff. So I, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, the other thing I would say, I, I always remember this is kind of off track, but we're on a podcast, so whatever we can do this. Right. Um, I remember watching guys play in college and how they always seemed like kids, like young. And then I would watch them come back after one year in the NBA. And I, I, I saw it more with basketball players because they were still young, but it was one year in the league and they were different. And the person yeah. that I, I'll remember that the most with is Malcolm Brogdon. He left Virginia after four years and I had his senior day and I covered him throughout his career. And he was an incredibly wise, insightful, mature college student. He came back uh, middle of the season, um, his first year in the NBA to be honored. And I walked up to him and I was like, holy shit, you are a man now. <laughs> he had aged six months. And I'm telling you, it was like six years. He, I felt like I was talking to a different person. It, I could not believe the transformation, how quickly he changed because of the responsibility that comes with being financially independent. And the responsibility that comes with being a professional. Now these guys are dealing with that responsibility much earlier on. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that does change a little bit for them. It's, it's something to think about because I, I, I can tell you when I saw guys start making that money, how much you just see the maturity and the difference in them. Yeah. Right. And you cover baseball. So, I mean, I always uh, equate it to when someone goes from AAA and they get a little bit of time in the big leagues and they start making the big league money and the big league flights, it's like, please don't change who you are. But in terms of college, you know, we don't see that at least now with a Nick Saban led team. And so in order to deal with the locker room, that is split because the old linemen aren't making, you know, the same kind of cash that, you know, quarterback is or corner or whatever. Do you need, is it going to take a different style of coach like a Saban over a Dabo that gets that shit cut out? Like we're not doing this. I think that the coach has to take it on head on. And I know the way that Nick Saban approaches it with his locker room. He says, you guys want to play in the NFL? Well, guess what? In the NFL, the guy in the locker next to you, is making a million more than you a year. And you have to be okay with that. And you have to be his teammate and you have to work just as hard and you have to get over that kind of shit. So I Mm -hmm. think that taking it head on is a really mature way to do it. It's one of those things that you can't not talk about. You're going to have to approach it with the locker room. I think the difference here is that it's going to separate players who are mature enough and players who are not mature enough. And the guys who are not mature enough, the guys with the stacks of cash and the girlfriend on the back of their lock screen are the guys who are going to uh, struggle with this. And they're going to have to mature really quickly. An example of a player, this is a perfect example of how college football is different this year. We're at our Michigan meetings last week and Blake Corum, their stud running back, comes into our meeting and he's had a phenomenal, like, an epic P 
people are saying almost Heisman worthy season so far. He walks up, he has massive diamonds in his ears yep. and he has a diamond chain around his neck. And it says, I forget, he has a company that he started though. And because of NIL, he's able to profit off of it. He has a clothing company called like grit something. And he has in all diamonds, like grit something on his chest. And in college sports, they used to at least hide that. We wouldn't see the huge diamonds and the diamond on the neck. And now guys are able to flaunt it. But Blake Corum has been incredibly mature about it. He still shows up in the weight room every day at 4 or 5 a.m. He's the first guy in there. And you can see he's able to be successful on the field because he's not letting this cloud how he's approaching his job. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's going to force kids to just mature a lot quicker. And the guys who are going to get all full of themselves and the money that they're making are just going to struggle with this. And people are going to eat them alive. Like the OU fans, they're going to eat them alive. Yeah. It's interesting because it's a whole new world. So it's new for coaches. It's new for players. It's new for fans. It's there's a lot of unknowns with the impact of this and how best to deal with it in general. Um, Let's move on though, but keep it kind of in um, both of your worlds here. Quite the battle between Boston College and Missouri this weekend, we had some shit talking leading up to the game that didn't just not just between you two, the head coaches as well, which was awesome. And then it was like an epic uh, a showdown there. So I'm curious, Chris, how do you not? I'm like really upset with you, actually. How do you not have your resume reel queued up for us to laugh at here on the pod? We're going to have to watch your Instagram for it. And I can't wait. But that was the bet we had to post. The loser had to post their um, college like first reel. So we'll look forward to that on your, your Instagram, Chris, but how do you not have it for us right now? Okay. Because first of all, let's let this be known. <laughs> if Molly had lost her reel is ready to go on YouTube because there's an age gap here. Molly <laughs> has yes, okay. To which I have a VHS player, but hold on. TVs have changed. So, you know, there's like the red and yellow AV. Oh, now it's all like HDMI. Yeah, mm. so I don't have a TV that has the <laughs> AV cords, whatever. So my parents do. So, I have so to the fossil that's your reel isn't able to be accessed. Okay. So let me just tell So the backstory to this is Molly's like, hey, you want to do a bet? And I'm like, sure. What should we wager? Ball of wine? Because I went to BC and Chris yeah. went to Mizzou. Yeah. And the, the game ended up being so good. But the problem was like, I couldn't watch it. Molly couldn't watch it. But Matt Berry kept doing cut-ins. And my play-by-play, Bob Wachusen, went to BC. And so every time BC scored, you know, there was all the smack talking. And my mic, of course, is closed. And I'm like, it. And then just, I'm like, it's the end of my game and I'm like getting screw updates on my phone. So I will, I will get it. I will post it on social media. I will try and do it this evening so that you all can have a laugh at my 2006 helmet anchor hair. Speaking, speak of trash talking, like Eli Drinkwitz did himself no favors by talking shit about the great state of Massachusetts. First of all, Eli, educate yourself, buddy. It's the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. All right. And there is plenty of talent up there. And then you go up to BC and they absolutely whoop your butt with their backup quarterback. They didn't whoop their butt. It went into overtime. I don't care. They (laughs) lost. Wins and losses, Chris. Wins and losses. Scoreboard, Chris. Scoreboard. (laughs) <laughs> how about just, the eagles though man freaking four and oh who saw that coming eagles are four and oh 
The only you know, teams in the ACC my question is is bc the best team in the acc probably i mean i mean that's where we go to, we go to eye test and things like that obviously right because if if bc were to play clemson i don't know they play them close but i don't i don't know who the this better year? team is yeah i mean you don't know and I, I love what jeff halfley is doing at boston college he's brought a completely different energy there and people are finally excited again about football the fact that they rush the field some people are like oh rolling their eyes oh they rushed the field against mizzou and eli whatever like who cares about them <laughs> but it shows that people in boston are excited to for bc football again because in a pro sports town not a lot of people are excited for bc football but they are again which is saying a lot so Bob and told me a story about that one time Boston College won on the road and because they were so excited, they went into their own home stadium and cut down. Are the- you there, Molly? <laughs> I was the cheerleader. Oh my gosh. Yes, I was there. So it was uh, the 2007 season. Matt Ryan um, was the quarterback against Virginia Tech and they were playing down in Virginia Tech and BC was down by... Oh God, at least, at least a touchdown with two minutes left. And Matt Ryan takes them on a game winning drive to win the game. And the week following that BC was ranked number two in the country. You guys, Mm -hmm. this was like, this was the height of my life. This was, these were the best, (laughs) these were the best days of my life. It's been downhill ever since. Sorry, baby Um, Ray. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to, to my son, my pride and my joy. But that (laughs) night at BC was freaking epic because everyone was so excited. There were people like rallying and cheering in the common areas of the, like the campus. And then everyone rushed down to the field, tore the goalpost down in an empty stadium. And then when the team came, the team came from Virginia around 3 AM, everyone was waiting and the band was waiting and playing and cheering them on when they showed up. And it was, That's I don't awesome. think I slept that night, but it was so much fun. So it, people have been waiting for, no one's been excited about BC football since then, essentially. No. So people are waiting for something to be excited about. And Jeff Halfley has brought that excitement. Um, and, you know, I know it's, I know it's Mizzou, but it is an SEC team. So. No, that was a huge win. I was just excited to see there was enough fans there to rush the field and have an impact. Cause I've done some pretty quiet games at BC. Not that I should be talking shit because what was going on down in South Florida was downright embarrassing with the lack of people there. Um, so my alma mater, you know, should probably be quiet right now. So BC's four and wake force four and in the ACC. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Right. Um, no. so at this point in the season, I think it's interesting to look at the teams that are undefeated and kind of like, who's the most, who we're most surprised by for me, guys, it's Arkansas. Um, not just that they're four and but because of who they beat with Texas and Texas A&M, I freaking love Sam Pittman. Um, I love how humble he is. I love his backstory. I love that he is an offensive line coach that finally got an opportunity as a head coach. And he has absolutely turned around a dismal Arkansas team. I mean, where this program was three years ago to where it is now is, is kind of mind blowing and what he's been able to do and how quickly he's been able to do it. Um, Cannot wait to see him at Georgia this weekend. Obviously all the ties that he has to that program, that game was going to be, Epic. And God, if they could pull that off, I mean, that would just be insane. So to me, like Arkansas is probably 
The biggest surprise at 4-0 right now as we wrap up the first month of the season. Molly, for you, who's the most like surprising kind of undefeated team right now? So I'm so pumped about that Arkansas-Georgia game. I think that's going to be one of the best games of the weekend. The other game that I'm so excited for is Alabama and Ole Miss. And Ole Miss is 3-0 because they must have had a bye at some point. Um, but Ole Miss is so exciting. I think they're my favorite unbeaten team right now, especially leading to the, into the game that they have this weekend. Everyone knows the backstory with Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban and working together. And I did the Alabama Ole Miss game last year. Okay. And that was the highest scoring regulation game in sec history. And that was against a championship Alabama defense. Can you believe that? So I'm so excited for this rematch because Lane Kiffin knows how to score on Nick Saban's defense. He knows that tempo gives them issues. Um, and I, Matt Corral is just one of the gutsiest quarterbacks and a Heisman front runner. So I, I absolutely love watching Ole Miss. I think their defense is night and day from what they were last season. And last year when I covered that game, um, it was raining and Ole Miss decided to go through their entire warmups in their practice facility because of the rain. But <laughs> Lane told me he did it to mess with Nick Saban because Nick Saban is a man of um, schedule and routine and keeping things the same. And they warmed up the entire time before the game with no other team on the field. And it was kind of eerie and everyone was wondering what was going on and he was doing it to mess with Nick Saban. So I can't wait to see what he does to try to mess with Saban this week because he always has some like petty little thing he's going to do to try to give himself the littlest leg up. So I'm, I'm pumped for that game. That's got to be like one of the games of the weekend. It's going to be so fun. That relationship reminds me of like a father and like an unruly, like 12 year old who gets put in time out all the time. And then that kid figures out a way to like unlock the window and like run away from home. It's like the kid just does ev like whatever he black wants. sheep. Yeah. yeah. How, how about this? So Everyone wants Arch Manning, uh, you know, the, he's like the best prospect to come out of football in, in high school. And we saw Nick Saban, like, kind of use some recruiting tools yesterday on Monday Night Football broadcast. Lane Kiffin goes and unfollows everyone on social media and only follows Arch Manning. I'm like, <laughs> you know what? That's pretty freaking genius. So uh, he is unbelievable. He's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. He will do anything. He will wear pregame. He'll wear like a shirt with a high school players, like Jersey number on it, or like a hat or have his son wear a certain players Jersey. Um, I absolutely love that. Also during their buy, uh, Kiffin was in Los Angeles on a recruiting trip. <laughs> Obviously, like a ton of incredible quarterbacks have come from the L.A. area and from Southern California. But L.A. on a recruiting trip, you have to wonder, will he go back to his ex at Southern California <laughs> at some point? Like nothing is outside of the realm of possibility for Lane Kiffin. How about this? So I was in this. We are now wait. This is tangent central podcast. But I, I like it in Knoxville covering Lane Kiffin when he was there for one year. And his ex-wife, his wife, Layla at the time was pregnant with their son. And I'm covering a basketball game when she goes into labor and they announced at Thompson Bowling Arena, Lane and Layla Kiffin have given birth to their youngest son. They've named him Knox. 
And so part of me is like, did he name his kid Knox? Because the whole place went wild. Do you name him Knox for Knoxville to try and get on everyone's good side there? It just, it's too. He's actually did, said that to me before that everyone thinks it's because of Knoxville, but it's not. He said he just liked the name, but that's really funny. He said that like, cause I that's asked bizarre. With his, he was with his son and I was like, Oh, what's his name? And he goes, it's Knox. Everyone thinks it's for Knoxville, but it's not. I just like the name. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, okay. That's so, so bizarre. My, my Who's your team? My porno team is Baylor. Uh, because I covered some other games last year and Dave Aranda is the nicest, the most interesting coach to me in terms of things he reads, his motivational tactics. And the most soft-spoken. Just true. Very true. <laughs> well, last year they had all these guys that wanted to transfer. They weren't playing. They went two and seven and now they're four and oh and beat Iowa state. So that to me is the most surprising team I'm intrigued by Kentucky and maybe part of it's because I have Kentucky, Florida this coming weekend, but I mean, to be four and oh in the sec and you're, you know, Will Levis, their quarterback to me is like this little cocky stud who eats bananas with the peel on. And, <laughs> Ew. Uh, he's just, I don't, he's such a cool kid. And so Florida, Kentucky hasn't beaten Florida in Lexington since 1986. So I'm excited to see what that atmosphere will be like and how Florida plays. Cause they played really well against Alabama. They played really well against Tennessee this past weekend. And Emory Jones hasn't had that threat of Anthony Richardson behind him because he's been injured. So I'm wondering now that AK 15 is healthy how does that change the dynamic? Will Emory Jones be looking over his shoulder? Will they use both quarterbacks? Because Dan Mullen had said going into our game three weeks ago, we plan to use AK on the third drive. So how does that change? If you're already rolling, do you use them? I want to see what Dan Mullen does. I think the bigger question is what does eating a banana peel do to your digestive system? Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of fiber. It's that a lot can't of be- what you would call roughage. We should ask, <laughs> we should ask Alyssa Lang and uh, Laura Rutledge because they both did it on live TV. That's disgusting. Too, too bad it's already been done, Chris. Damn, there goes a report for you. I know. Shucks. I was, I was like, I told Bob, I was like, not doing it. And he was like, he's like, what do you mean you're not doing it? I don't care if everyone else has. Everyone does jump around every every freaking Wisconsin game. <laughs> Come How on, about Bob. We just eat a banana every Kentucky game. It's like the new tradition. How Disgusting. about you should do a segment like eating things with their peel still on with Chris Button. Here's Chris eating an avocado with its peel on still. <laughs> Here's Chris eating a fruit with a peel on. It's one hundred percent Orlovsky. Yeah, he doesn't eat fruit. Period. No, that's all he eats. And I thought it was like chicken, chicken tenders and ketchup. Chipotle. (laughs) All right. We'll get it back on track here. Okay. Focusing on football and not fruit. Um, Molly, (laughs) you have another, another four and O team this weekend in the big 10, one of a few, uh, Indiana, Penn state. Do we feel like the Nittany lions are a legit four and O contender? Like in two months from now, are we still going to be talking about them and being undefeated? So, So, they looked legit against Auburn. And then last week against Villanova, they could not run the ball for the life of them. So that's my concern is when a team is one dimensional offensively, someone is going to come and get you. 
And so we saw that this last weekend with Michigan. I don't know if you guys saw the Michigan game, but the first half Michigan Rutgers, that's one of those games where I have a million stories in my back pocket because I think it's going to be a blowout. So I'm like, okay, second half stories, like I'll be able to do some unique stuff in the second half. Um, it didn't turn out that way because Greg Schiano is doing some special things at Rutgers, but also they, they learned that if Michigan can't run the ball, they can't really do much else. Like they had no perimeter game going. They couldn't really get much done period. So they, so Rutgers kept the game close down the stretch and which led to, um, a tense and awkward Jim Harbaugh interview on the field after the game. Cause he was pissed about his team. Um, so, you know, when, when teams are one dimensional like that, like Michigan, all they focus on is running the ball and they had no real passing game. It concerns me. And I have the same concern with Penn state because they throw the ball and they have some great receivers and they've had a lot of explosive plays in the passing game, but they can't get their running game going. And they're, their lead running back, Noah Kane, is the guy who had one carry last week against Villanova and then didn't see playing time for the rest of the game. And there's questions about his health and whether or not he's healthy, whether or not he can play. Their offensive line allowed a lot of sacks and hits on the quarterback. So I just um, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I think they need to be better at running the football for me to think that they're a legit 4-0 team or a legit team that can contend in the Big Ten. Well, and I think too, you give them all this credit for the Auburn win, and then you see Auburn come out and struggle against Georgia State, and then all of a sudden right. you're wondering, okay, what do we really know about them? Um, that's what's interesting about this point of the season is teams are really just starting to kind of reveal themselves. Back to your Harbaugh interview, though, mm-hmm. I was watching it live post game, and I, that I think is why I find him so difficult is his cadence. You can't always tell when he's done talking. Yes. <laughs> and I saw you struggle with that a little bit. So walk me through kind of like, I don't know, I guess it's, it's so hard, especially when it's live, because like, you don't want to just hold the mic up there, but then you don't want to interrupt them. And so I think like on this second answer, you left it up there. <laughs> it's so hard. You guys. So, so I've covered them twice this year and Jim Harbaugh is definitely lighter and happier and more personable this year in my opinion in terms of sitting down with him he's more engaged and more engaging and I can tell he really likes this team but but coach Harbaugh will start on a top he's a very deep cerebral thinker so he'll he'll start on something and then he'll stop short and he pauses for a long time and he's thinking about what next he wants to say and then he stares off into the distance and you wonder if he's done with that answer so you start asking another question and then you start talking the same time as him and you interrupt each other. He, right. He's he's a very, you're right, his cadence and uh, he thinks things through while he's saying them, which leads to long pauses. Like he's a long pauser. Like people who pause for long periods of time during conversation can be a little awkward. He's a long pauser. So in our production meetings, I knew that. And so then I, I interview him post game, ask him one question. Of course, he didn't hear me at first and he didn't want to do the interview. Um, so I have to repeat my question. I ask him and then he he pauses for a beat. So I go to ask a second question and he keeps talking. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm talking over. Him. <laughs> so then I ask him a second. I ask him a second question. And I asked about his the fact that they weren't able to run. And he said, um, you know, we we got a little a little going on the perimeter, some throws to the perimeter which um, got our run game going a little bit, but we really put our defense in a bad position. Done. And he just ended. And so I was like, 
do I follow up? And I literally paused for a second too. And I was like, do I follow up on that? Is there meat on that bone still that I like, do I need to push them on that? And I was like, no. So then I was just like, coach, this was a really gritty win. Like, what do you say to your team? Like this took everything to, to, you know, get the win at the end of the day. What do you say to your team after this type thing? Cause mm-hmm. he seemed pissed off. Um, so I, you know, on the fly, I was like, I'm going to just go in a different direction and ask him a more broad question because shit's getting awkward. <laughs> it, it, well, it, it is. And it's hard. So that's the thing with Harbaugh. Like if you're in person, it's hard. If you ever have to do um, a production meeting on the phone with him, it's damn near impossible yeah. because he's not one of those people that thinks about what he's going to say while he's saying what he's saying. He takes the time to stop and think about how he's going to respond. And I I remember doing a few production calls with him prior to Michigan games. And it was so hard. I mean, analysts play by play myself, like we're all stepping on him and then he keeps going, but back to like a previous question is super challenging, but you've definitely had some like Emmy real moments uh, post game at the big house this year, Molly. Thank you. Appreciate that. I've had, I've had some, (laughs) awkward ass interviews you guys oh my god yeah oh yeah the game before that when I'm I don't I don't want to call these kids out I just I'll just say Chris just did it's okay yeah I did a really awkward live interview you know just live tv and a a player just was nervous he just couldn't speak and he just kept saying how he can't even speak I can't even that's why you're a pro and you got him through it yeah, <laughs> you can't control people, guys. Just gotta go for the ride. But yeah, there have been some awkward moments, man. I bailed on mine before it even started because I was like, you know what? I am not even attempting to interview on camera Mike Leach at halftime. Not doing yeah. it. You asked me to do it last time. I fell on my face. So halftime, you can have it, studio. Did you get yeah. him on camera? How was he? No on camera. I just got him. Got no. Notes. But did you talk to him? Yeah. Yeah, he's fine. He, he, he doesn't love talking football. He will talk to you mm-hmm. for an hour about Afghanistan or, you know, pirates or, you know, legal and when situations. He, aliens. Yeah. When he does talk football, though, he's very succinct and direct. And he'll just be like, he'll talk so heavy into X's and O's that you're like, well, I can't really repeat any of this because our audience isn't going to exactly understand what he's trying to say. Yeah. Like, I always have a hard time with like, trying to translate what he says for the broadcast when I do talk to him at halftime. Cause he just gets, he's either in the weeds football or he's like, I am general Patton and this is my army going to battle. <laughs> it's one or it's one or the other. One more thing that like in terms of interviewing. So I did interview coach O a couple of times and he it's all it's, I find hard to engage with cause he doesn't look at you when he answers, he looks, at the camera or somewhere else, but he doesn't look at you. So I actually, it feels very detached. I don't know if if like Mm. that makes sense, but you're used to interviewing people that like look you in the face and he's looking at the camera. And so I'm like, uh, you know, I feel like I'm on my own little Island. That's so awkward. Oh man. Just love awkward interview moments. I pray to the baby Jesus that I don't have another one this week. I can't handle another one of those. (laughs) 
Speaking of awkward and babies, my kid's about to start screaming. So we're going to wrap things up because, Chris, I know you have to pick yours up. So mom life is calling, um, but this was fun, ladies. Best of luck this weekend. You hear Lyle screaming. This is so, it's so good. It's <laughs> so This brand. is real life yeah. on the pod. You only get so much time and it is always being borrowed from a child screaming or getting hurt or We're crying. We're not editing or... it. He's actually really upset that I didn't have my reel. So I'll go get that. <laughs> exactly. Get your reel posted immediately so we can have a good laugh. And I look forward to chatting with you ladies next week. Thank you guys for listening to the Sideline Pass podcast. Don't forget to download, rate, and review, and we will see you next week.